Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, a podcast for anyone who wants to learn more about the current and future state of cannabis in Europe. Every episode we talk to different business owners and cannabis specialists, making it easier for you to enter and better understand the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Tom, and today we will continue from where we left off in the previous episode with Gonzo. Gonzo is an illicit cannabis supplier, or simply put, an illegal weed dealer, from Bristol in the UK. On the previous episode, he told us how he ended up where he is today, and on this episode we will discuss why Gonzo deals, who his customers are, and what his views are on cannabis decriminalization and legalization. We here at Smells Like Business feel it's important to learn about the lives of those who are currently working with cannabis in the black market, but we also do not promote or advise anyone to participate in any illegal activities. We would also like to stress the fact, a fact that was brought to our attention by one of our listeners, that not everyone who becomes a weed dealer does so by choice or is treated equally. Race, wealth, class, and a whole range of other factors can have a big influence on how a weed dealer is treated by the law. That is why it is so important for us to make sure you understand that this story that we are about to share is one of privilege, choice, and opportunity. This is a topic we completely forgot to cover in our conversation and is something that is important to be aware of when listening to both this and the previous episode, part one of Confessions of a Weed Dealer. We would also like to take this opportunity to apologize for this oversight of ours. So, Please, when listening to this episode, have an open mind and be aware that this is a story of one man and his own experience. If you haven't listened to the previous episode yet, I recommend you do that first before continuing with this one. Otherwise, do enjoy. And please, kids, do not try this at home. So, Gonzo, welcome back. Let's continue from where we left off. So in the previous episode, you told us your story, how it all happened from your early escapades at boarding school to growing and selling cannabis on an industrial scale up in Scotland. Uh, Then you took a long break, and now you're based in Bristol and back to weed dealing, but it's all a bit more low-key. So we've heard your story of how it all happened in the previous episode, but what I'm also interested in is why. So why do you do it? For me, it's not so much money now. It's more the social aspect. And this is what I really enjoy about it now. And I actually find this very different from what it was like in the early 2000s and the 90s, where surprisingly, I actually found that a lot more stressful and the whole thing was a bit more edgy and a bit more violent. Well, also back then in the 90s and early 2000s, I can imagine people's attitude and the police's attitude for that matter towards cannabis wasn't as liberal as it is today. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, back then, especially in Scotland, you were doing it on a much larger scale. Not only were you dealing, but you were kind of doing it all, you know, you were also growing and distributing. So I can imagine it was quite violent and indeed felt quite sketchy. Oh, completely. I mean, there, there isn't a job within this industry that I've not done. I've been a smuggler. I've been the very top end. I've been a middleman. And now I suppose I'm sort of the lowest rung, but... Um, but you feel better about it. Absolutely. And I've got absolutely no desire whatsoever to step up the food chain at all. You know, I make enough to keep myself comfortable. I've got a job as well. You know, I work a nine to five for a reputable, sensible company. Yeah, you know, I sort of feel like this doesn't really interfere too much with my life. And what I really love is the different people I've met. I've got really good friends. I mean, everybody I sell to, I sell to maybe about 
60 people, something like that. And every single one of them is a friend. I don't sell to random numbers that phone me up. Yeah, I never pick those up. I get new business from recommendations of friends. I mean, the oldest person I sell to is in their 60s. Oh, wow. And the youngest person I sell to is, I think, in their, you know, their early 20s. Sounds like they are from all walks of life. Absolutely. It's a huge demographic. And what I really love is I never would have met these people if it wasn't for this dried herb. I've got a bunch of friends that I met for this. They're coming over to my house for a roast on Sunday. And, you know, they're sort of all in their early 20s. And the amount I've learned about music and films and things and, you know, everything from talking to these people is, is just invaluable. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, that's really nice that it's not just about the money and that you don't consider these people your customers or your clients. It actually sounds like you've created a nice relationship with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't ever refer to them as customers or anything. You know, they, these, these people are my friends. And um, this is what a lot of people on the outside never really seem to get is the fact that, you know, they always thought, but, they, you know, they're not your friends. They're just coming up because you've got weed. And it's not the case. You know, you don't know our interactions. You don't know what this is like. I mean, I, I feel like a counsellor to a lot of these people as well. It's the um, barman effect. People come over, they know they can offload on me, they know I'm discreet, they know I'll keep my mouth shut. And they just feel comfortable enough to be able to tell me their problems, knowing that, you know, I don't know anyone else in a social circle, I'm not going to gossip about them and things. And yeah, it's a really good, valuable relationship. I think provide a, an excellent service for people. Yeah, that's nice. And it sounds like you try to as well. And of course, now in Bristol, you're in a much more comfortable situation. And you've got a normal full-time job, so I guess this is more of a side gig. It is, yeah. For any of your, well, I was going to say clients, customers, but actually friends, so to speak, do any of them actually buy for medical purposes? Um, yes. I know a few people that want things that are a bit lower in THC and higher in CBD. There's a lady I sell to with cerebral palsy. Okay. And she smokes it because it helps her greatly. I know people with arthritic pains. I actually know somebody who's a paraplegic and she's bedbound and her brother-in-law buys THC oils to give to her and that actually helps her a lot with seizures. That must be a really nice feeling to know that you're also actually helping people with medical conditions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I do give people a good discount when it is for um, yeah, medicinal purposes. Oh, that's nice. And you also said that you have a full-time job. I mean, is it hard or difficult to actually combine an office job with dealing cannabis? And do any of your colleagues actually know what you do, or do you really try and be discreet about it? Yeah, and, you know, a few people do know. I, I sell to a few people at work, but um, tend to keep it on the down low. And it doesn't usually intrude too much into my normal working day. You know, I tend to nip out at lunchtime and sell to people people know after work I'll be home at about four. I mean, I, I switch the phone off around 7, 7.30 in the evening, just because you, you need a bit of time to yourself. You need a bit of a life. Otherwise, it does become all-consuming. And I find myself sometimes, I have the mentality of a small business owner, where I think going away on holiday or going for a day out, it's not just costing me the money for the flight and the hotel. It's also costing me in lost revenue. So, you know, you've got to take that into consideration. And I'm quite sort of mathematic in my approach to everything. So I've got my ledger book. And what I've done, I've charted over the past few years, sort of redoing this for about the past four years. 
uh, charting how much I've made every day in a ledger. So I can look at it and I can recognize patterns throughout the year when people tend to buy more and people to buy less. And I do plan my holidays around the times when um, revenue is less. Huh. Well, it does sound like you've done your homework. I would say that's just smart planning. Yeah, sensible approach. Absolutely. A lot of people say that if I applied this type of energy and knowledge to a legitimate enterprise, I'd be very wealthy. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, when you were doing it in Scotland, you were doing the whole process, you know, from sea to sail, as they say. Uh Aha, nice. Yeah. But in Bristol, you know, you did that a little bit. But now I guess you purchase from other people. So who are your suppliers? Do you buy directly from growers or do you buy from other dealers who sell in bulk? How does that work? Both. I buy directly from the growers. I've got a few friends that grow small amounts and I buy whatever excess that they have, you know, after extracting their own smokable supplies. And then I buy from bulk dealers who get it off the dark web, who know smugglers. I mean, Corona's actually put a stop to a lot of this smuggled in marijuana. The hash industry is pretty much dried up because of this, which is, you know, it's an interesting effect that this has. I've noticed, yeah, the costs of hash have gone up quite a lot since Brexit came in and the the cost of fuel's risen and the, you know, the pounds devalued. So there are a lot of aspects. It even affects the black market. Yeah, absolutely does. That's actually really interesting. Actually, speaking of the coronavirus, how has that affected you for business? It's actually booming. Oh, really? Yeah, it's phenomenal because I, I thought at the beginning, you know, the government announced, oh, a lockdown, you know, kind of everybody was envisaging martial law and nobody's out on the streets and stuff. But I found people were, they were so religious about not going outside, not having contact with anyone except for me, you know, and I'd still be seeing loads of people every day and people initially started bulk buying. A bit like at the shops. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you'd see the same thing. So people that normally buy £20 worth were buying it by the ounce. And I'm making a fortune here, but what a lot of the growers thought, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell my wares in a few months because we don't know how long this lockdown is going to last for. So a lot of the growers stopped growing it. So you end up with this deficit. I foresaw this coming and every time I could, I bought as much as possible from people. But even I've had problems, you know, I, I usually have a variety of about four or five types. And now I'm lucky if I have one. But yeah, it's a shock. I mean, even now it's, you know, the business has stayed fairly regular. And um, I really noticed when people started going back to work because it actually dropped. I think what was the cause of it? People were getting paid essentially to sit at home and do nothing. So, what you know, what else are you going to do? Just get stoned. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's quite nice that you normally have quite a few varieties. I think it was four or five, you said. Sounds like you're trying to give your clients a true dispensary experience. Exactly. And that, that's it. You get to know everything about them. I'd smoke each one and try it. Oh, no, you know, <laughs> perils of the job. Yeah, I'd end up sort of knowing the effects of each one. So you can give a detailed account to people. I think there's too many dealers out there that do not take pride in what they do, don't know what they're selling, you know, just give somebody a unknown quantity of some random plant that somebody's done and don't know you know they don't take the time to learn to be able to tell how it was grown to tell how it was flushed to be able to tell how it was cured to even know what strain it is and to know you know if it's a sativa if it's an indica if it's a hybrid what the effects are if it's a body stone if it's a creeper you know that's another thing i'm sort of religious about telling people is the length of time it takes to affect you 
because so many times I'm sure you've done it before, you know, we've all had a joint thought, wait, this hasn't worked. Smoked another one and realized it was one that takes 10 or 15 minutes to hit you and being completely comatose for it. Yeah, got to watch out for those creepers. Absolutely. And what about the people you buy from and any fellow dealers, you know? Do you guys have the same approach or a similar attitude towards cannabis dealing? I think sort of like attracts like in this industry. I've got two other dealers, both of whom actually are retired now. They were both hippies and just really mellow, nice people. And you could tell because, you know, we're all kind of birds of a feather, quite akin and attune in our attitudes to it. You know, we all agreed that politically we think it should be decriminalized. We all like to know about the different strains. We like talking to each other. We didn't like meeting up with people at three o'clock in the morning in a rainy car park to hurriedly hand over and make some dodgy exchange. You know, it was more about the whole social aspect of it. Okay, so you do establish a relationship with these people and a trust, obviously, which I can imagine is important. Oh, it's a huge thing. Absolutely huge. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's your freedom. Yeah, of course. And, you know, the consequences can be potentially quite large. Oh, yeah, absolutely devastating. So what's the general public's view and toleration towards cannabis in the UK, in your opinion, of course? In my opinion, I think within, I'd say more cosmopolitan places like London, Bristol, Brighton, places like that. It's incredibly liberal. I mean, it's the smell of these places. You walk around and everywhere there's the waft of cannabis in the air. They're quite vibrant cities. They're quite young. And I think we're in a generation now where there's going to be a shift. Our parents' generation, they weren't used to seeing people with tattoos everywhere. You know, I remember people making comments about friends that had tattoos on their hands and arms saying oh they'll never get a job like that but this next generation the generation y the one that's coming up they're going to be the ones who are going to be bank managers with facial tattoos they're going to be the ones who are the prime ministers that have openly smoked cannabis most of their lives and i think that's a really good thing i think attitudes are changing there there still are relatively in the conservative pockets where there's sheltered people that find it very different to separate you know cannabis from heroin there's still people that call it a gateway drug but i think they're becoming fewer and fewer and it's becoming more accepted by society and what about your friends and your family do they know what you do one of my sisters knows, and um, we went to amsterdam together i took her for her 18th birthday and, you know, I think that's fine because all her friends do. And the, the thing is, I'd rather me send her some marijuana every now and again than her buying it from some shady guy and wasting her student loan on it. You know, I think that's important. I, I think, again, with children, it's so important to rather educate them properly about drugs rather than try and scare them off. Yeah. So I think it's important to be able to tell people how to safely use these things and, you know, how often you can really do it before it starts affecting you and things like that. You know, I think that's incredibly important. But most of my friends know what I do. It's fairly obvious if you walk into the house, there's a certain aroma. <laughs> so, you know, it's obvious. And, my, you know, my neighbours know as well. And we just sort of talk about it. And it's interesting. And I, I think, again, the thing is I'm quite well liked and I get on with most people. And I, I think that, again, is a very important thing. I don't meet your normal view of, of a street dealer. I mean, for the listeners out there i dress exactly like i sound (laughs) yeah and you don't tread on too many people's toes no 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 absolutely don't rub it in people's faces i think that's the thing yeah just be subtle and then of course living in 
place like Bristol that has quite a liberal view and attitude towards it anyway, I can imagine only helps. Oh, completely. So what's your view on cannabis legalization being on the other side? Are you worried about how it might affect your business? Not at all. Do you know what? I am all for it. I think it can only be good. We're currently making criminals of about five and a half million people in this country for absolutely no reason at all. I think legalization would be a good thing. There's two ways of going around it. I think there's the European method, which for me would be superb. Fortunately, in a financial position to be able to purchase a business legitimately and start selling legitimately, which is what ultimately I'd like to do. Um, I think that would be a great thing. And the Conservative government have said, said many, many times that they've got absolutely no interest at all in legalizing cannabis. But I think with the current global crisis, with COVID and uh, with Brexit, I think the country is going to be in a huge amount of debt, a huge deficit. And how do you make that up? I think it's by encouraging new revenues, new tax revenues, encouraging tourism. Every country that has legalized marijuana, tourism industry has just skyrocketed. You know, I think that's a way to do it. In this country alone, it's hundreds of million a year is spent on drugs. I don't know what percentage is, is on cannabis, but, you know, even if the government take a fraction of that, you know, it's still a lot of money. I, I think the other way of doing it, the American way, where it's actually put a lot of the growers out of business because they tax it so much and it's so heavily regulated it's most borderline impossible to get a license to grow it i think what that's going to do i mean either way the dealers are going to be okay i mean you've lived in the netherlands before so you know that no one that lives there buys it from the coffee shops so i think even for the small dealers there's still going to be a black market for it and yeah with the californian method i think the black market is just going to continue really Mm-hmm. When it's so expensive, right? Yeah. If the prices are not competitive, it defeats the purpose a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of thought about it. I mean, I hope they would go the same method as the rest of Europe and not align themselves with the US on this, but uh, you, you never know. No, it's hard to know, especially with the UK now with Brexit, which way it'll go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There is the potential that it will just sort of follow the way of the, the states. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed it won't. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question that I ask all my guests is, if you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently? So in terms of, of marijuana, what would I go back and do differently? Do you know what? I don't think there's much I'd do differently. I've lived a very interesting, very, very varied life. I've had a lot of good experiences. I've nearly been caught a few times. I've got away with a lot. But the thing is, I've come out of it with a good story to tell and it's shaped my attitude towards things. So I don't think there is much I would change. Maybe I'd cut my hair shorter sooner. I think that's about it. Well, you live and you learn. But it sounds like you've had definitely quite a colourful life and some very interesting experiences. But what I find also super interesting and nice to hear is that a lot of the points you're making, I'm hearing from people in other episodes as well, and from people that are also in the industry and working with cannabis legally. So it's nice to hear that there's people like you out there that actually have the same ethos, you know, and that we're all actually trying to achieve the same thing here. We just need to strive in making it accessible for everyone. Yep, I will smoke to that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I just want to thank you, Gonzo, for joining me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks. Great. Well, you take care. 
You too. Good luck with everything in the future. Thank you. And you too. Thank you. Speak to you soon. So that was Gonzo from Bristol, UK, who I just want to thank once again. If you want to find out more about him or get in touch with him, well, you can't. He's a weed dealer. What were you thinking? But if you want to find out more about what we do here at Smells Like Business, then please do check out our website at www.smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day, everybody. Smells like business. Smells like business.